You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Welcome back. Hopefully everybody has had a excellent holiday weekend. I tell you what, my entire family was sick. Except for my kids, my wife and I, we got sick, and it's the worst kind of sick. <laughs> the the out both ends kind of sick, and it put a little damper on the what we could do as far as parents were concerned. Uh, you know, obviously I wanted to be there all day to, today, which, you know, I'm recording this intro on Christmas uh, Day, and uh, it, it just sucked. I, could, I couldn't physically be there and play with my kids with all their toys that they got um but we did what we could do we got by and uh i guess there's just times in life where that kind of crap happens and you just kind of work you work by it and uh anyway i know the kids had fun they enjoyed the toys that they got uh, uh and then they would fight over who got to play with what toy and then they'd fight over the other toy and then they'd go their separate ways and they'd play and then they'd fight. Uh, it was kind of fun to watch that. I just had to sit back and laugh because I can remember myself and my brother doing the same thing when we were kids. Anyway, today's podcast. Well, back to back to the, uh, the, the, the first couple minutes here. I just want to say hopefully everybody had a good Christmas. And now that Christmas is over, we can get back to hunting gear and today we're going to be talking with matt klein from exodus trail cameras and uh, the first part of the show is going to be about his 2017 hunting season um 
couple of hits and miss hits and misses and struggles that uh, he's that he had uh, before he was able to uh, you know find some success. Other than that, we're going to be talking about Exodus, and uh, we got a I guess uh, an announcement, a big announcement to make about a new a new product they're going to be launching, and it's something that I have heard from a lot of guys on this podcast say. Hey, we want this, and now you're going to get it. So be sure to listen all the way through this podcast to find out what that product is. And let me just say that today's, I guess today's commercial is going to be about Exodus, right? You have their Lift 1, right? Great camera. Now they have the Lift 2, an even better camera. And today's product, which you can still receive a discount for, even though it's brand new, you guys are going to be able to uh, get this uh, this product on discount as well just by going to exodusoutdoorgear.com and entering the discount code 9FINGERS. They're going to be taking pre-orders for it. So it's, uh, dude, it's going to be, an, it's, it's one of these things where a company is listening to the pulse of their customers. And they are, they're, they're, they're cashing in on what the customers actually want. So that's pretty uh, kick-ass. Again, uh, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com, look for the new product, and when you decide to pre-order it, enter the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS. So enough of the small talk. Let's get into today's... I guess it's kind of a half gear podcast, half hunter profile podcast with one of the owners of Exodus Outdoor Gear, Matt Klein. All right, back again on the phone with me, Mr. Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras. How you doing today, man? Dude, I'm doing all right, man. How about you? You know, I can't complain. Other than I got the uh, the flu going through the house right now. My wife and daughter were sick today. Last week, my son was sick. So it's just my luck that probably Christmas Eve, I'll get the flu. <laughs> That's really funny, man, because we have literally been going through the exact same thing. I was out in Illinois like um, last weekend, and my wife texted me and was like, I have the flu. I'm, I'm coming down with it hard. Uh, and I, I was like put in this rock in a hard place of like, okay, you know, my wife's at home with the kids right now, sick. I know she can't take proper care of them, but I really don't want to get sick. So should I just stay here and keep hunting? <laughs> Dude, I tell <laughs> and you if what, I do, will I have a wife to come home to right. when I come back? I, I tell you what, guys are like men are the sacrificial lambs when it comes to getting sick. Like you – it was obviously a no-brainer. I don't know. Did you end up going home? Yeah, of yeah. course I did. So you had to go home, right? Right. I mean, you had to. So you're going to be the next one to get sick. You know, it's funny. I've definitely been feeling a little off the last couple of days, but I just I feel like I'm fighting it. I don't know. I, I hope so anyways because, you know, my luck. And we travel back home where I grew up in Maryland for, for uh, Christmas. My luck we'll get there and everybody will get it. And I'll just be like the one guy that's like, Oh, you know, like <laughs> the one guy everybody hates. Cause I didn't get sick. That's the way it usually goes for me. But, uh, but no, leaving, leaving Illinois with, uh, I had a really good deer moving. I was hunting some public land out there and it was just like, Oh man, like now, now of all times. Yeah. I think we've all been put in a situation like that, whether it's 
the kids being sick or, or one reason or another where you had to step away from like two, one or two steps away from really getting this bucks pattern down and then having to step right. away from it, be, you know, and then, then you try to lie to yourself and say, okay, well, when I come back next week, it'll still be the same and it right. never is. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, I want to kind of get into today. I definitely want to talk about the company, but I also want to talk about your season because you had a little bit of a wrench, not necessarily a wrench, but you had different opportunities to try to uh, go after this year when you, you made a move and you had to move from one area. What Did you move from one state to another or did you just move in different places throughout the state? No, I just moved regionally about an hour. Honestly, it wasn't that crazy, but I'm really weird about that. And I, and I don't know if other people are like this, but I'm really weird about that gray area of having to travel like an hour to an hour and a half from my hunting property. Yeah. And I know that you do that, Dan, but my thing about it is I would rather be four hours away or within 15 minutes because there's just something about that hour and a half, which is about how far my old hunting property is now. And, and I'm just like, man, it just isn't efficient to hunt in a day. And it's so close that when I'm down there, I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just drive back home and see the kids. And I, I can't commit. It, it's this weird yeah. thing in my mind. So this year, you know, I moved to this new spot about an hour from my old house, but probably, you know, an hour and a half from where I was hunting. And I just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm cutting ties. I'm, and I had a bad experience last year. You know, we told the story on the last podcast we did with that big buck I shot and couldn't yeah. find. Never got any more pictures of him. And the whole area got timbered this year, so it was changed. So it, a lot of things just led to me saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going all in on a new area, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make the best of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, the good thing about my situation is, yeah, I live an hour, hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes from my main hunting farm. But my parents only live about 15 minutes, 20 minutes from my main hunting farm. So, That's perfect. So when I go down there, I'm spending the night at my folks' place. Right. Perfect. So this is, I don't know. I like hearing the stories that we're about to hear because it really shows who is serious about going after mature bucks or the, the top quality of deer in a specific area because we've all whether we've lost deer or have had to move from or lost properties or have had to move from one area to another and look for new um property to hunt there's uh there's some of us who maybe don't have the money to uh lease land or right. buy land so we have to go through this process of am i going public or am i going to go the door knocking route so when you ended up getting into this or getting into this new area, settled down in the house, and it was time to start going out and looking for new property, what was some of the first things that you did to try to accomplish that? Well, I tell you, we the first thing I did was, and we talked about this on the last podcast, I think back in the summer, was a friend of mine in this area, um, and I've been familiar with this area we moved to for a while. I know some people here. We lived here for a while before we moved to my last house. So this isn't a, you know, I'm not a total stranger to this area. First thing I did was the, <laughs> a good friend of mine manages um, some properties in the area. That's, uh, he, uh, he runs a, a company where he, he does property management and stuff like that. And um, he, uh, 
he let me gave me access to one of these farms that literally was right behind my house. So going into this year, I was kind of like, I got it. I got it made for me, you know, a, a beautiful farm. Um, this farm is in conservation. So it literally, it, it just is basically an overgrown mess, an overgrown, you know, working farm at one point has now been put in conservation. Um, and it's the conservation easement that's on it just has, it just has allowed this property to kind of look like the perfect property for deer hunting. Now, going into like August, I was running cameras. I'd planted food plots. I didn't have a picture of a deer that I was, you know, comfortable shooting. And it was kind of like, you know, it, I've kind of gotten over, you kind of go through this progression, I guess you'd say. Is, and I've gotten over having to have pictures of bucks all throughout the summer. Yeah. And I've always kind of felt like the, the areas that I don't have pictures of giant deer in the summer seem to be like those harbors or, you know, of deer, of big deer come the rut. And so it really didn't bother me. But to me, it's like, okay, well, in the meantime, maybe I should just go try to, you know, try to, try to figure something else out, um, just to have options. Just, you know, this is a 120 acre piece behind my house. I want to know that there's, you know, I have a backup plan. And right about the time that I was kind of thinking along those lines, I was, I was, you know, I was driving around looking at different properties, looking at some public by my house. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, frankly, I think some of the public land in our areas is vastly overlooked. And, and so I was trying to check out some public and see if there were any good food sources nearby public that I could maybe make an early season, you know, ambush on and all that stuff. And it happened one night I was driving home from the office, which is about 15 minutes from my house. And I, it was like seven o'clock. I got out of the office late and I get, it's a Friday night. I get up past Walmart and there's a DUI checkpoint and I, I'm like, Oh great. You know, I'm going to be sitting here for 10 minutes. Right. And so I go through this DUI checkpoint and the officer, you know, I roll down my window. I talk to the officer, I tell him I'm going home and all that stuff. And as I'm talking to him, I look past his right shoulder and there's a bean field, a long skinny bean field that runs along this road. And I see a giant rack standing out in this bean field. And, and I just go instantly like the conversation is over at that point. Right. <laughs> and, and I actually literally, when, when he finished talking to me, I had to turn back around and come back through that DUI checkpoint so I could sit there and glass this deer. And it was like a hundred and low 160 inch eight point, just mainframe Jeez. eight, um, you know, giant eight. And, yeah. and so instantly my mind started churning of, okay, how can I find a way to get on this farm? And my buddy that manages these properties, uh, you know, this is Friday, my yeah. buddy that manages these properties, I figured if anybody knew the farmer that managed that or the farmer that owned that, um, it would be him. So all weekend, you know, I'm kind of like planning, okay, well, if I could get on this farm, this is in a really like big industrial park, you know, where an industrial park meets, meets agriculture where it's just like, there's a lot of nothing going on. Yeah. Well, there's this small woodlot nearby where this deer would probably come out of. And I was like, man, if I can get in that woodlot, that deer's probably going to hold tight to it for most of the early season. Cause there's no other timber nearby. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm planning everything out and Monday I go into my buddy's office just to say, Hey, do you know who owns this? And I show it to him and he kind of laughs and he's like, what are you asking? And I was like, well, who, who manages this? Who, who owns it? And he's like, I do. 
And he's like, we just, you know, our company just bought that. And, you know, we've got the access on that. And it's only like 17 acres. So nobody's really even paid attention to him. I'm like, dude, I saw this deer and, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about it. I've been dreaming about this deer. I got to find a way to get on this deer. And, uh, anyway, so he get, he was like, go after it, you know, go, go get him. And, uh, so I ended up spending a lot of the early season. I mean, literally just inches away from this giant eight and played cat and mouse with him. I do not know how I did not kill this deer because it was one of those things where I honestly believe that the only reason why I couldn't have killed this deer is because he must've literally been able to see me coming. He must have been bedded somewhere that he legitimately could watch me walk because there was no cover around. For me to get on this deer, I had to walk down a train, uh, you know, a tra- railroad bed um, or across an open field. And I just couldn't find a way to get in there without belly crawling that he wouldn't see me. Um, and, and, you know, it's one of those ones where you just start, what the heck? Yeah. You know, I started trying all these different things and literally I would go hunt this deer and not see a single thing. And then the next night have a picture of him an hour before daylight or dark, you know? So that deer kind of drove me crazy for the first two weeks of the season. And then a buck actually did move in on my home farm. And, uh, and mind you, I don't know if I told you this, but I decided to hunt with longbow for the first part of this year. I just wanted to try it. Yeah. How did that go by the way? Really well, actually. I, I really enjoy it. I, um, I, uh, I had a, I had a situation in, in October that where I missed a deer and then I kind of like started second, my get second guess myself for a little bit. And so it, it's an up and down game with the traditional bow, I think. But, uh, but anyways, for, for most of October, I was, I was cat and mouse and with some really good deer. And I had about 160 inch 10 point, um, on my home farm that started showing up. And for the last probably 15 days of October, I kind of went after him and it was the same thing, kind of played cat and mouse with him. I had that deer, I saw that deer on the hoof at least three times. I had him coming dead to rights and could have killed him with a compound at about 40 yards um, the last time that I saw him. And then that deer just disappeared. And I went through this phase where literally for about three and a half weeks, I did not have a picture or a sighting of a shooter yeah. in my home state, you know, in the properties that I was hunting. I mean, nothing. And uh, it got a little depressing. I mean, we're talking the the prime part of the season, you know, yeah. early November, Halloween, like all those days passed, and I'm chomping at the bit with nothing to show. Um, and then I got to talking to uh, to my my good friend Cody DeQuisto, and and he was like, "Well, dude, it's it's heating up out of here in Illinois. You should come out here. There's some public land nearby." And so I went out there and hunted public land for a couple days, and. Uh, <laughs> and I actually missed a deer out there. Um, that was just, it was one of those mornings where, uh, you know, it's just pandemonium, pandemonium in the woods. I saw like 14 bucks and, uh, <laughs> and I ended up missing one at, and actually just kind of like grazed his, his underside, um, at like 20 yards. And then after that, I was kind of like, I was really second guessing my shooting for the year and all that stuff. And, <laughs> you know, with no deer at home, it just kind of, you go through these ups and downs, you know, Dan, in the season, this was one of them for me. This is one of those low points in the season for me. Um, and I went back home from that Illinois trip, kind of like, you know, what the heck (laughs) am I going to have another one of these years? But, uh, so question. So this year, 
Um, I passed some really good deer before I ended up shooting uh, a, a buck that snuck up on me and was underneath. Like, I, I, I misjudged it wrong from the stand. I... You know, I thought he was older than what he was. He he was not. When I ended up walking up on him, I don't regret it or anything, but I was passing a lot of really good deer, three-year-olds, maybe even a couple four-year-olds. But did you have a, like, goal or a specific caliber of animal that you were looking for this year? And maybe do you look back and say, hey, man, I I probably should have shot some of these deer that I passed? You know – a lot of times I do. Um, this was one of those weird years where like, I didn't have a lot of shooting opportunities. There's a lot of deer that I saw that I was like, yeah, I wouldn't shoot that deer if he comes closer, but he never did. You know what I mean? I I really didn't get tempted hard until that time in Illinois that I just spoke about the deer that I kind of missed, um, slash, you know, just kind of grazed a little bit. Um, in Illinois, I definitely would have been, not disappointed. You never are disappointed with a harvest, but if I would have gotten that deer, I feel like I would have been like, man, <laughs> the nerves got the best of me. It was one of those situations where there was literally just bucks running everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and you know, when stuff like that happens, you're, it's like sensor, sensory overload. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally had sensory overload. I was, I was shaking in my tree just from the suspense of everything that was going on. <laughs> and my knees were kind of just shaking. You know, one of those mornings we were just like, man, you know, this is incredible. And as I'm sitting there, like trying to contain myself a little bit, I hear something crunching behind me and I look back to my left and this buck is coming out of charge. And it's probably like a 120 inch deer, yeah. which a lot of guys, including me, like three years ago would have been tickled to, to shoot. But this year, I really wanted to go after mature deer, and I wanted to do it with the traditional bow and all that stuff. And I don't know. It was robotic. This deer came in. The sun's glistening off his antlers. I picked up my bow, and I released an arrow. You know, it wasn't even – so I, I like that fact. There's something about just every now and then you just go into that, that killer instinct. Um, and that's a cool place to be, man. Like that's what I really think is like that is what hunting is all about. I mean that's that's – that's what we feel in our DNA. Yeah. yeah. But I know once that feeling kind of subsided, I would have been like, man, you know, okay. But, you know, that would have been a really great deer next year, which, you know, some people might say is, is not a great place to be. But I, I just look at it as a personal journey, and I've, I've set this bar. So I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's pretty difficult when – some of the deer that you're chasing, especially when you're running trail cameras, right? Um, you, you get a whole bunch of activity and even you're seeing activity in the stand. And then all of a sudden it, at times it can even be like a light switch, right? It's just off, no deer movement. Trail cameras are dead. What were you doing at that point to go out and, you know, look for something else? It, it's funny because I didn't know what the heck to do. I mean, I had, I had cameras all over the place, Dan, and I was like, okay, it's just not happening in Ohio for me this year. Maybe I just need to plan another trip back to Illinois. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was, I was kind of saying, okay, well, I'll go back to Illinois, you know, this week and I'll just dedicate seven to 10 days to it and just go all in because what I was seeing in Illinois was just unbelievable. I was bucks moving like crazy. Um, and it's funny because I had a friend, 
a good friend of mine who hunts in Kentucky, um, and he's he's just one of those guys that kind of like uh, kind of like you, honestly, Dan, like you and Kenyon and and some of those guys that just they go all in and they they go every day no matter what's going on. Like you just you dedicate yourself to it. I am not one of those guys. I can tell you that right now. If I don't feel like it's happening, I cannot convince myself to be in the tree. <laughs> I have to feel like I have some kind of edge that's like, you know, I watch this buck go into that that thicket. I'm, you know, I'm setting up on the downwind side. And once that happens, I'm locked in, dude. I can be there for days. But if it's just like a ghost land and my picture, my cameras aren't showing anything and I'm not seeing anything from the stand, I'm kind of like, what the heck should I be doing right now? You know, and, and so my, my mentality with that is, okay, well, I'm going to go hit a new piece and I'm going to go pound ground and see what's going on over there. And that's exactly what I did this year. So, so for me, if I don't feel like it's happening, I go try to find out where it is happening and I'll just, I mean, I won't hunt. I will literally walk from daylight till dark trying to find like good sign or, you know, a lot of times in the rut, you can, you can kind of sneak around with the wind in your face and see deer you know, and say, okay, well, there's something hot over there or something like that. That's kind of my mentality when I feel like it's not happening in the rut, because these deer are so unpredictable that even though that spot was perfect three days ago, you could sit there for the next five days and just have nothing going on. And so, so my mentality is just keep, keep pounding until you feel, until you get that warm and fuzzy feeling when you're in the stand. If I have that warm and fuzzy feeling, dude, I will sit there with the best of them, (laughs) you know, but but I just can't, I don't know. I'm, I'm big on vibes, man. And I'm big on just gut, gut feelings. Um, but anyways, so that's exactly what I was doing. Um, <clears throat> and my buddy that, that manages, uh, these properties, I come in his office. This is like November. I want to say November, um, 16th, something like that. Yeah. Um, the week before Thanksgiving and I'm kind of like, dang, you know, the rut's kind of, it's going to start winding down here pretty quick. And what the hell do I have to show for, you know? And uh, so I walk into his office and I sit down. And I'm just like, man, I'm feeling a little bit beat up. And and I'm, you know, like I've been on a roller coaster ride. And he's like, well, I think I found your big eight point. And this is the one, you know, I was hunting back in the, in the early season. I was like, and my ears perk up. And I'm like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, he's about a mile to the south. And, of course, then I'm like, Phew. Well, that doesn't help me any, you know, yeah. and he's like, we've got a property down there and the neighbors have been talking about seeing this giant eight point out in the fields at night. And they, they explained them to a T. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, well, <laughs> game on. I said, you mind if I go hunt there for a couple of days? And, you know, look, man, I'm not even looking for a season pass here. Just give me a couple of days. And, you know, I'm chomping at the bit just to just to get back in the game here. And he kind of laughed and was like, yeah, dude, just, just go for it. Just, he said, there's other guys that have been hunting there. So they're supposed to be coming back up for gun season. So as long as you're out by that kind of thing, you know? So I go in there with my, my stand on my back and, and the first night I set up an observation set and I watched three different bucks cruise the edge of this, this, um, bedding area. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. (laughs) I'm seeing deer again. Cause on my home property, I mean, there was nothing going on. And so I hunted there three nights in a row just trying to understand what was going on every night that I hunted there I was seeing bucks and the last night I thought I caught a glimpse of the big eight way across the field right at last light saw a good cage you know and just couldn't tell how big he was but okay I'm gonna I'm gonna 
I'm going to go set up a stand there in the morning. And that's exactly what I did. There's this little pinch point coming off a creek, um, little strip of timber that connected two bigger pieces of timber. So in my mind, the access was weird. This whole area is just kind of wide open, so it's hard to access. But the access, access is kind of weird, but I'm thinking, you know, if I, I'm going to go in right at first light and set up my stand without a flashlight or anything. I'm going to creep up this creek bottom and just set up kind of in the, in the pale light and just try to be as quiet as I can. So I go in, I set up, and for within 10 minutes of setting up, this little buck comes cruising by. And I'm thinking, okay, <clears throat> I'm in the right spot, you know. And then the next thing I see is just a pile of does coming, busting out of this thicket in front of me. Nothing ever comes out. And this is about 200 yards to the north. Nothing ever comes out. So I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of weird, you know. And I'm just kind of observing, trying to figure out exactly what the deer are doing. I, I just kind of, when I'm hunting in that mode, it's like, just show me, I don't need to kill today. Just show me one of the puzzle pieces so I can try to, you know, where where do I need to be tonight? Right, absolutely. And and so I had another little basket rack buck come through at like 8.30. And then at 9 o'clock, I look up and I hear some commotion and I hear something coming down this creek bottom and I look back behind me and there's like a 135 inch 10 point crossing the, uh, crossing this little field right in front of me to the North. And he's about to cross the Creek and come right into my life. And I'm like, dude, it's been a long two years. This deer's going down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm standing up, I'm getting, I'm getting situated. I got my release on the bow. It's game over at this point. This deer steps, he, he's in the creek, crossing the creek, steps up the bank. I'm talking at like 15 yards, steps up the bank behind these trees. And I just see the tip of his nose sticking out like he's getting ready to walk into my shooting lane. And it's like he hits a brick wall and turns around and he's gone. <laughs> and at that point, I literally could have spiked my bow, like just spiked it off the ground from the yeah. tree stand. Like I, <laughs> I was done at this point, you know, <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is going on? So I was, I was fully prepared to kill that deer. And after, after he ran, it was like nine 30 and I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and, and this is November 20, 20th, the, the first Monday of, you know, before Thanksgiving or the last Monday before Thanksgiving. So I'm thinking this is probably the last day of good rut activity that I'm going to see it, it, this good. Cause there were deer moving like crazy. I, by that point I had seen like 20 deer, you know, in the distance and whatnot. And so at that, I was like, man, I'm just going to go home. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to pack it in. It's been a long rut. It's been a long season. I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to quit. And I just kind of sat down on my seat on my stand and I'm like, just kind of pouting a little bit, you know, which we all do sometimes I think. Yep. And I keep looking up at this, this timber in the North. And of course this bucket ran a completely different way. And I look up at this timber in the North and I watch another group of does come busting out of this timber. And I'm like, that's weird, you know? <laughs> and uh, like 45 minutes goes by, and I'm kind of like over the, the incident that had happened. And I'm kind of just like, all right, you know, where should I be this evening and all that. And I watch a group of does. I'm talking like seven, eight does come marching past me in shooting range. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, at least, at least there's still deer moving. They march past me. They go to the north to this same woodlot. And this is after two hours of watching the same kind of activity. They go into this woodlot in the north. As soon as they get in there, they come busting out. In my mind, like a buck's chasing them. 
but I have never seen something emerge from this timber. So I sit back down and I'm like, man, I, I bet you there's, you know, there's gotta be a big buck up there camped out or something like, why the heck are all these deer running when they get to that Northwood? I'm wondering if there's a hunter up there, you know, mm-hmm. but in my mind, in my gut, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kind of thinking there's gotta be something up there that's just harassing these deer when they get there. And I had walked that North timber one time the day before, just kind of in a quick scouting mode. And I knew it looked good. I mean, it looked like a prime bedding area. And <clears throat> so I just kind of got this wild hair to say, you know what? I'm going for it. So I got down, I put my stand on my back and I circled, it was a West wind that day. I circled around to the railroad tracks that run North to South along this North timber. Um, and with a West wind, man, it's just blowing perfect out over these railroad tracks out into the open field. And I kind of get up to where I can see into this timber and I just kind of go into sneak mode and I'm just taking a step every 10 feet or, or every 10 seconds or so just you know, sneaky crawling into this timber, just looking for like a good trail or a crossing or something that I can just set my stand on. And I was going to sit there till like lunchtime and just, you know, wait it out. And I get up to this spot where the Creek bed, (laughs) there's a trail that crosses a Creek bed. And I notice on the other side of the Creek bed that there's a big main scrape over there. So I was like, okay, cool. So I cross this creek bed and I get up about 10 yards from this main scrape and I'm looking for a tree to hang my set in and I look up straight ahead of me and I see a buck. I mean, I saw his antlers before I saw his body. I was like, holy cow, there's there's a buck up there. And I just sit there and watch him for a second (laughs) and he's just prowling like back and forth, like in a 50 foot circle. He's just kind of like pacing back and forth like... Almost like when you watch like a mountain lion or something at the zoo, like walking yeah. in front of the glass. Yeah. That's that's what this buck is doing. Like, I don't know what was going on with him. I don't know if he like caught the scent of a hot doe and was just waiting for her to come back to that bedding area. That's in my mind what was going on. This deer was just like fired up about something and he was waiting on it. <laughs> and every now and then he'd stop and just thrash the ground, man. It, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And as I'm sitting there watching this, like, motionless with a stand on my back it hits me like how the heck am i gonna kill this deer (laughs) you know like i'm on the ground it's thick in here this deer is literally like 45 50 yards away from me there's no way i can hang my set what the heck am i gonna do and and as i'm thinking this the deer kind of turns and starts walking away from me and i'm like all right i gotta figure out something so out of out of pure desperation i just let out a snort wheeze and the deer stops and his ears perk back. And I don't think that he was like charging in or anything like that. I think it just kind of sparked his curiosity enough that he turned around and the trail that I was standing on that led to the scrape, he just took that trail and started coming beelining right towards me. <laughs> and he comes, he comes down this trail. So I, I still have the stand on my back. I get down like on my knees and I get an arrow knocked and I get ready. I'm like, and the whole time I'm thinking, there's no way that this is about to happen. No way. And every time he takes a step closer, I'm like, holy crap, this is about to happen. Were you this watching deer, him at this point? Could you see him coming? I watched him the entire way. I mean, watch the the sun glisten off his antlers. Watch the slobber roll out of his mouth. I mean, he was just that worked up to where he had just been 
I don't even know. I've never seen a deer in this state before as, as worked up as this one was. And <laughs> he came into 15 yards and just kind of, I mean, he just posed there for a second while he was like looking around, like looking for another buck. He was coming to that scrape, I think, honestly. Um, and I shot him at 15 yards on the ground with a stand on my back and the deer piled up within a, within like 65 yards. I mean, it was unbelievable. So it, it was kind of, I shot him and then I was like, you know, all those times that people have said, you know, the season can change in a split second. Yeah. And I always was like, well, that's BS. You know, you make your own season, all that stuff. There's two schools of thought of looking at it, but man, that was one of the most incredible encounters I've ever had with a big white tail. And when I shot the deer, I honestly did not know how big he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of those ones where it was like, this is so cool. I don't even care how big this deer is. I mean, I knew he was a good one. I could tell like as he was coming in that there was something going on in his bases. But I, at that point, you're just so locked into like this deer is not leaving without an arrow inside right. of his chest cavity, you know. And uh, <laughs> when I walked up on him, man, he was actually – it was one of those – the only times in my life where I've walked up on a deer and been like, holy crap, like he's better than I thought he was. And it was it was a mainframe 144-inch – eight point with six to seven inches of of trash coming off his bases so wow. you know gross gross non-typical he went out at about 150 and i was like yeah i honestly after i shot him i was kind of like is he was he big enough you know and, and i was like who cares that was incredible yeah. and then when i walked up on him i was like wow that, that deer's a lot better than i thought he was you know so it was <laughs> one of the only times where it's the opposite of ground shrinkage i guess wow that's crazy i tell you I've never shot a deer. I'm trying to think if I have or not. No, no. I don't think I've ever shot a deer off the ground ever. I've every time I've killed a deer, it's been in a, it's been in a, uh, a tree stand. So just, how did you not get busted, dude? This deer was just well, and the wind was perfect. That was oh, the one okay. thing. West wind. He was straight west of me. So. It was honestly a perfect wind, um, but the other side of it too is this deer was just—I mean, he was fired up. I, I have to believe that he had a nostril full of, you know, of, of hot dough. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, just one of those cool things. And I think about it a lot as like, um, you know, just just being friends with the DeQuistos and you know, tree stand culture of—I mean, when you go talk to those guys, it's like they're, they're into the science of the set. You know, like, how, how did you set the stand? Did you have to stand up? Like, because I, I always set my stands up to where I can just shoot them from a standing. And I think about that and I was like, well, <laughs> I didn't even kill this one from a tree stand. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, without that, without that culture, that mindset of just being a mobile hunter, you know, with a good quality stand, yeah, you don't put yourself in those positions for, for, to get lucky. Like in that, that scenario, you know, seeing that deer across the field or seeing all those deer running across the field, if I'm in a big bulky ladder stand, it's like, I'm probably not going in there, right. <laughs> you know, like maybe in gun season, I'll go check it out. And so it's, it's just kind of neat when you think about the mindset of a mobile kind of active or aggressive hunter. I, that's what really gets me fired up about our sport is just everybody kind of has their own thing that they're into. That's mine. I just... There's something about there's something about stalking the timber with a stand on your back that just fires me up. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, that's one hell of a story, and the cool thing about it is, it's just a different, unique story 
that you're going to be able to share with people as opposed to, you know, your standard, hey, I was sitting in a tree stand <laughs> in a pinch point and I shot a deer type story, you know? Well, it's kind of like I think about it a lot. Like I could very easily have killed that, you know, low 130s buck that came cruising by the, and there would have it would have been a, I would have been very happy with that. I would have been on this podcast right now talking about how happy I was, but there would have been nothing unique about that. So I think about that low when that deer busted me, yeah. and just how mad that I was inside. Like, you know, because when you get busted, I, I, maybe some guys don't take it personally. It is very personal for me when I get busted. Oh, like absolutely. I did. I didn't do my job, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, you lost. You lost that round. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just funny, man. It's funny. I don't like calling deer hunting a sport. I don't know why. I've just that's that right. feels like a weird term for me. But like this lifestyle, I guess you'd say this way of of choosing to live. That's one of the beauties of it is the fact that it is so unpredictable. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Well, congratulations on a on a great buck. I saw the pictures, dude, and uh, I don't know. So it it was a it was a one fifty class or basically a one forty class eight pointer with junk that made him one fifty something. Yeah, I mean, however you look at it, I yeah. guess gross non typically is right at one fifty. But to me, I mean, it's a hundred forty three inch eight. Yeah, you know that's, that that's still that grew some buck. extra stuff. Absolutely, and again, I mean. After the two seasons that I've had, it just, man, it just felt right. It felt good. Yeah. And it, and a good old deer. And it's so funny, too, because it's kind of ironic that, you know, me, who, <laughs> you know, just doing what I do with Exodus, kills a buck that I have literally no pictures of. Right. I, I just found that, I found that really ironic and cool, you know? Right. Absolutely. It's I guess it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of guys can go in and live and die by trail cameras but at the same time you still have to i guess implement some kind of like like you said earlier go with going with your gut at times right you can't just have all this data in front of you and make decisions based off of that you got to go use your hunting skills at some point as well Dude, there is no doubt. There's so many times in the exact opposite form that my cameras will be lighting up with big bucks, yeah. and my gut tells me that I just can't hunt that spot. Yeah. You know, like the wind is just not ever going to be right there. You got to hunt them 100 yards up on that ridge. You know, like there's so many times that I just think if you truly don't – and I'm in the business of selling cameras, so right. it's kind of weird for me to say it. But if you truly live and die by what your cameras tell you, you're going to miss opportunities. Oh, They're a yeah. great tool. Great oh, yeah. tool. Yeah. One of the one of the most fascinating inventions, you know, of of in deer hunting. Period. Yeah. And but you I mean, you, you can't live story. and die. You mean you know the story this year I went with my gut to a new farm and I ended up killing my deer on a farm that I just got access to in October and didn't have any trail cameras on at all. At all. Don't so, you love that? Well, it I mean, it it's one of these things where I love knowing the deer because if I would have had trail cameras on that property, I probably would have been able to identify that it was not a mature buck, which is great. But the cool thing about the whole thing is I did a run and gun setup. I walked into a piece of property that I only went shed hunting on and I set up based off of wind direction, terrain and sign. And I got it done. And that to me, that's what I'm proud of. And that's, that's, that's a thrill. Dude, I, that's one of my favorite things, yeah. honestly, like, don't get me wrong. 
the buck that I shot last year that, that I never recovered, the, the history that I had with that deer and all that stuff, that's one of the greatest things ever. Don't get me wrong. That's probably the greatest, you know, feeling in deer hunting. But mm-hmm. what happened this year for like you and I, that's pretty damn cool too. You know, like let's not, let's not discredit that because there's something freeing about just not knowing what's out there. Right. There's something really, really simple about that that kind of takes you back to a place where hunting was a little bit more simple. Right, right. Well, now I want to talk about Exodus cameras. This is a good transition because, uh, first off, I just want to ask you, how how is Exodus doing as a company right now? Dude, we have had an awesome year, man. Honestly, like... I am so humbled by the support that we've been shown this year. Um, and you know, partners like you and, and some of the guys that we work with is just, is just taking it to a new level. I think honestly for us, it's kind of like, you know, we've had this mission and we've had everything that we want to do in our mind for a long time. And now to see kind of like that, that proof of concept, I guess you'd say the, the, the proof that your ideas are valuable, Mm -hmm. that, that people believe in what you're trying to do. It honestly is one of the most humbling things I think you can do as a human being. Um, it it really, 2017 has been a banner year for us. Um, we are kind of, we're getting to a place now where we can kind of, we have more capital to work with as far as research and development goes and building new products and starting to get to a place where it's like, okay, what can we do? That's not, that's not kind of cookie cutter and nothing that we've ever done is cookie cutter, but what can we do to kind of think outside the box when it comes to trail cameras and what can we do to provide more value to the customer? Trail cameras are kind of at this place where like, I hope that they don't get too much more advanced. Um, because I'm very, (laughs) it's weird because the position that I'm in with our company and being a technology firm, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to push things further. I personally don't want them to go too far because I think that it it takes away some, something from, you know, the pursuit. Yeah. And so to me, it's like, okay, how can we rein in and build the most high quality products that we can and then offer them with more value to the customer? Yeah. That to me is what it is. I, I'm not interested in designing products that make hunting a thousand times easier. Yeah. That just to me is, is not the end goal. Um, to me, it's okay. We've got, we've got a product here. We've got a system as far as trail cameras and, and, and wireless trail cameras and all that stuff. We've got a system that is right. I think at the perfect level of technology, you know, we are, we are right on the brink of the perfect level of technology and understanding white tailed deer and enjoying the pursuit of them. If I, it could go further. And then maybe there's a little less enjoyment in the pursuit, you know, and the technology is a lot more advanced, all that stuff. To me, it's about, okay, let's keep things about where they are now, but let's just build the best dang one that we can right. and, and do it in a valuable standpoint to where customers, we truly believe that we're providing the most value to our customers as far as our price points go and our level of build quality and the way that our tools are reliable um, all that stuff is really what we're looking at here. Um, <laughs> you know, I just think, I think the pain points that have arisen is like, nobody's questioning whether or not trail cameras are valuable now to a deer hunter. Like, obviously they're there. We don't need to sell that anymore. Yeah. 
what we need to figure out is the pain points in, in, you know, like we've said from the beginning is, is the reliability and the customer service and the, the, the mission proposition, all that stuff is kind of what matters here at heart. And we're kind of getting to a place now where it's like, okay, we have, we have more resources now to kind of get even better at that stuff. So that's, that's the beauty of what's been going on here at Exodus over the last 12 to 18 months. Right. And, you know, I post random questions uh, all the time on social media, and I'm, I feel like I do a good job of communicating with the listeners of the Nine Finger Chronicles. And I tell you what, just from listening to the other guys, you know, that I, you know, I chat with every once in a while, you know, they, they say that the, the lift was awesome. The lift two was an improvement on pretty much everything on that camera. And, you know, the, the customer service, the direct to consumer, the, the, the warranty, I've heard of guys take advantage of all those things and they're, they're very happy, um, with with the camera now here's a question that probably guys don't get asked a lot when it comes to manufacturing but what's one thing that you guys had a problem with on these last two cameras and are either actively trying to solve that problem or have solved that problem um we went over some of this with the Lift 1 back when we talked about the launch of the Lift 2. I'll tell you something that came up with the Lift 2. Um, we found a bug in, in firmware, um, and, it, and that's usually what happens with trail cameras. I mean, the the manufacturing is relatively simple these days. I mean, there's a lot of automation there. Um, so usually if there's anything as far as manufacturing goes, we catch it pretty quick. Um, you know, like... Early on, we had some problem with latch tolerances, so we would have cracked latches. Um, but we got right on the ball with that, and we've really straightened that out. I mean, that's a pretty easy fix, um, and we've straightened that out for the most part. Um, you got to think. I mean, we're talking about a product that's sitting in extremely frigid temperatures, so yeah. so there's going to be some stuff like that. Luckily, that's an easy thing to fix, and and I don't mean fix just from the standpoint of hey, if it breaks, we'll fix it. I mean in the manufacturing process, we found ways to overcome that. Right. The other side is, um, but in the the sense of software, that's what really gets intricate with these devices because it's actually a fairly complex software program that's you know that's articulating this product because the low amount of of power that that camera is drawing for 99% of the time is pretty intricate there's there's a pretty intricate um um power circuit that's designed there to make sure that that camera is in rest mode and it's conserving uh battery life at an extremely efficient rate efficient rate um, so we did actually, when the Lift 2 launched, we had this thing with a, just a bug really that, uh, it wasn't every camera. It was, um, it was about 10% of them would just randomly, and we couldn't predict it. It was like randomly it would just crash. And, and I don't mean crash, like stop working. I mean, it would crash that power circuit and power would surge through the roof. And this was something that took us about two weeks to figure out how to overcome. And I'm talking two weeks of of like 18 hour days trying to run these things through the ringer to figure out what was going on. And we finally did and, and we fixed it and, uh, it's taken care of now. Um, 
But that's one of the things that you deal with. The Lift 2 is what we consider a completely new solution. Yeah. There are some chipsets that have been used in similar, you know, uses before. Like you can go on the market and buy a chipset that has been used in a security or, you know, even trail camera type environment before. I mean, it's pretty easy to figure out what the competitors are using and you can use that and know that that works. With the Lift 2, we used a completely new chipset that we haven't used before, that we haven't even experimented with before in trail camera technology. And so when we did that, it was like, you know, there's going to be things like this that come up. But we... Our big thing is just, okay, when it does come up, we just attack it on all cylinders. You know, everything else goes to the wayside while we figure out that that root cause. And we haven't had a lot of things like that, but but that was one of them this past summer, just, you know, for example. Yep, yep. I remember seeing a, uh, seeing a, a post when I, I made one of my posts and a guy made a post. He's like, yeah, I had a latch break. Uh, I called him up and they replaced it instantly. So right. win. You know, I mean, yeah, it sucked that he had to go maybe a day or two without a trail camera, but, you know, that's, uh, st- I mean, you guys are still relatively new company based on the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. And and you got to think, here's the thing, the latches are easy. In yeah. fact, a lot of times if we'll talk to the guy or a girl, whoever, we'll talk to him on the phone and say, hey, how comfortable are you replacing this thing on your own? Because if you are, we'll overnight you a new one and you can replace it yourself. Yeah. And, and so latches are extremely easy um but you know we've had other things happen in the past like if there's somebody that calls us and says hey i've got something going on here but i can't quite put my finger on it a lot of times we'll send them a loaner camera hey look we'll send you a camera out tomorrow it'll have a return label in the box send your old camera back and we'll have to put some we'll we'll test it you know um and and then we might have that camera for a week or two to get a full test on it so we don't want somebody to be out without a camera for a week or two. So that's why we do that. Um, but the thing that I always got frustrated about back when I was just a consumer is a lot of times, you know, when I would send a camera back for, um, for you know, any little thing that was happening, they would have to send it back to their, their manufacturing facility in China to get its service there, which you can say whatever you want about Chinese manufacturing. It's very hard to do efficient, low-volume low manufacturing here in the States. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, you could get political on or whatever you want to say. When it comes to low-volume, and I'm talking 100,000 units or less per year, which is pretty much every trail camera manufacturer, it's very hard to do it at a cost-effective price in the States. So I don't blame these companies. When we're talking electronics, now we start talking about, you know, metal fabricated things it it, be, it gets different but i'm talking electronics low volume is hard to do in the u.s so i've never blamed a company for having to use chinese manufacturing i think if we weren't okay with that all of the trail cameras on the market would be 500 plus there's no doubt in my mind um but what i don't like is okay well when you're servicing a product why does it have to go back to china we should be doing that here in the states no doubt about it um, so that was one of the big things that we do. We, we do all of our service here in house in the States. Um, and that kind of just ensures that our turnaround times are extremely fast and, uh, you know, that there's a human element there that when we have a problem, we're communicating it back and forth and it's not just, Hey, yes, yeah, send it in. And you know, you don't hear anything for two or three months. So that's always been big to us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, the other thing that I heard, you know, when I asked people how they like uh, their cameras, that, you know, all these good things. And then you got a group of guys who, you know, the current, I'm looking at the website right now. The Lift 2 is 229 so basically 230 bucks. And, right. you know, they say, that's just too expensive. You know, that's, uh, I can't afford that. Yep. It sounds to me like you have an answer for that. We do, and we're actually, you know, <laughs> it's been a long time coming, man, because I wish we could have done this two years ago, but we just couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, and so without kind of, without alluding too much, without telling you what it is, we are, we are about to launch, and I guess this will be kind of part of the official launch when this podcast airs, is um, a camera we're calling the Exodus Trek. And the Exodus Trek is our new um, baseline camera coming in at $140 um, with the same warranty, five-year warranty, um, you know, our same no BS warranty, and uh, and a five-year 50% off theft and damage replacement policy. We're doing that camera at $140, and basically what we've done to be able to offer that camera at that price is we've kind of gone back to the drawing board and said, okay, what do we need exactly in a camera that's at a price point where it's going to be cost effective? What we can as a brand, we can't sacrifice our quality, our build quality. We can't sacrifice our, um, you know, our longevity. Those are our core mission statements. So we just cannot sacrifice those things. Um, so what we've been able to do is we basically have eliminated some kind of bells and whistle type features your view screen goes away so now we've got a single line lcd screen like a lot of people that are probably buying a you know more affordable base camera affordable base cameras are probably used to one line lcd screen you can still do all the same uh, menu options that you could before as far as like photo mode video mode um, running down through your trigger and delay it's just in a more simpler um, compact screen. <clears throat> so you don't have, uh, the one thing you lose with that is, uh, the ability to see where you're pointing the camera, which is a nice little option. <clears throat> and you can't play back pictures right on the camera, which is a very nice little option sometimes. So you lose that. Um, when we go to a chipset solution, we're using the same photo, uh, quality chipset as the gen one lift. So you're going to get the same image quality, Actually, a little bit better. We've tuned, we've tuned that chipset to just really get the peak performance that we can out of it. So you're going to get slightly better image quality than the Lift One, um, because it's using a shared chipset, the same, the same solution that we had in that camera. But on the trigger speed, we're actually a little bit faster because of some new, uh, new technologies that we've installed. So we're at a 0.7 second trigger speed with that Trek camera. So we think that's a pretty um, pretty competitive place for it to be um uh it will not have hd video it'll be 720p video so you lose that from the 230 dollar camera um but i think a lot of guys again that are looking for an affordable camera don't necessarily care so much about having 1080p crisp video um to us it's like okay we would rather give up 1080p hd video and be able to offer a camera at $140 that's built to last. That's kind of the way we've built this camera, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Is let's make it reliable. Let's make it consistent 
um, and, and be able to back it up with our same customer service policies. And let's get rid of some of these bells and whistles that most of your hardcore deer hunters don't care so much about. Right. Now, the photography community, you know, the, the nature enthusiasts, the hobbyists, they're a little different. I'm not sure that they'll buy this camera because of some of those things. Yeah. But we really, truly built this camera for a stripped-down uh, deer hunting tool. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially what it is. You know, I talked with Chad. Oh, man, it's been a week or two and when he told me about this. I tell you, I really like that because I'm the kind of guy who I want to walk into an area and I, oh, my God, there's a there's a ton of scrapes and rubs. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the bedroom or I'm in the right spot. Throw a trail camera up, turn it on, and I want it to work. That's, right. you know, that right there. And if in, and it sounds like this new, the new Trek is going to be able to perform like a lot of the guys, I guess, like me and some of the other guys out there, the hardcore guys, like you mentioned, this will be perfect for them. Absolutely. And that's kind of why we built this thing. It's like, okay, if I'm strictly in deer hunting mode now, when you start a trail camera company, you start to think about it from like a photography standpoint of like, how can I get the best photos? Like all that stuff. There's no doubt about it. But when I'm in strictly a deer hunting mode and I know I'm spending money on leases and I'm spending money on, uh, you know, a new bow and, and gear and all the stuff that we spend money on as hunters, I would much rather be able to buy two trail cameras for nearly the price of one. Yeah. And as long as I know they're going to work, that's the thing, man, is like for the last 10 years on the market, when you go below $150, a lot of times you just don't know what you're getting. And that's, that's a sacrifice that a lot of us aren't willing to make. So in our mind, it's like, how can we put a camera up or a camera out there that people can believe in and trust in, um, and, and build it on the back of the value proposition that we've had since day one, but still be able to kind of get them at a price point that, that I think they'll appreciate. So that's, that's where the trek comes from. And, uh, you know, you lose a couple other things. So it doesn't have a camouflage pattern. Yeah. Again, a lot of guys don't necessarily care about that. I mean, how many times, what how many times do it? we, it's, it's a grayish tan. It, it blends very well. I'll okay. tell you that much. Um, we didn't want any kind of black. Uh, we didn't want any kind of very hard, solid colors, obviously, because, you know, the biggest thing about camouflage patterns is let's hide these things from humans. <laughs> you know, we don't want we don't want the neighbors that are sneaking over to, you know, hunt the line or whatever, catching our trail camera and then feeling like they have to take it. That's the big thing. Yeah. And uh, from from a blendability standpoint, I think we've picked a really good color. Um, just a neutral tone blends really well. Um, but like you said, it, there's certain things we have to do away to get it down to that price point. But I think it's it's all in what you're looking for. Right. But, you know, it sounds to me like there's options if you, you know, one way or the other, you know, with the lift two and now with the track. So exactly. Yep. So 2018 is almost here. I mean, what? so so you're saying next week, somewhere around the 26th, 27th, this thing's going to launch. Yeah, we're thinking before New Year's, we're going to okay. kind of we're going to kind of unveil this thing. And, uh, that way we kind of beat the ATA rush. You know, yeah. I feel like when the ATA comes around again, it's really hard to pay attention to everything coming out. So we want to just make sure that, you know, we're talking and, and telling everybody what we've got coming, coming before, before the ATA show. And then the one interesting thing is 
a lot of products at that are unveiled at the ATA show really don't start stocking on shelves until the summer. Right. Um, with us, when we unveil this camera, we expect to be shipping it within 30 days. So we'll probably start a pre-order process here, um, allow you to get it, you know, at a slightly discounted price while, uh, while the pre-order period is open. And then, uh, and then, yeah, you'll be able to start testing this thing out, you know, before Turkey season, um, to, uh, to really get a feel, get a feel for it. Absolutely. Now I, I got inside information because I get to talk <laughs> with you and Chad a little bit, right? but I'm not, I can't say anything yet. Is there anything else coming down the pipe maybe in 2018 as far as products are concerned? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, I hate, I've gotten burned before with unveiling things before they were quite ready. Um, but there's something that I think a lot of people have been waiting for from us um, that we are bringing to fruition here this next year, and I'm sure that'll tip some people off. But uh, but yeah, there's there's a there's a major project we have underway, and uh, we're doing some cool stuff with it. I'm I'm actually really excited about that. It's one of the things that uh, is kind of firing me up for the new year. So perfect, perfect. So and this is, I guess it's on the record because it's on. I mean, we're recording this, so it will be on the podcast, but when do you think that product will be available? Do you think it will be available before hunting season next year? That's the goal, absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. The goal the goal is for it to be in the summer, um, uh, but, you know, right. a lot of these things kind of go out of our hands when it comes to certifications and FCC testing and all that stuff. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that every camera we put out, whether it's wireless or not, has to go through certification process and all that stuff. So, so it, I hate making promises without, you know, without any kind of, when there are things that are above us, you know, so right. that's, that's part of it. But, uh, but yeah, the goal right now is to have, uh, have some new stuff coming, obviously the track coming here very shortly and then have some new stuff coming before the, you know, by the summer. So that's the, sweet. that's the goal right now. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, one last thing here, we're, we're, we're coming up on an hour, but you yourself have jumped into the, the podcast game as well, and you have a podcast that you, you kind of work on now. Why don't you fill us in on what that is? Yeah, man. So um, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of really just getting taken off. Um, you know, I've only done four of them now. And we're kind of like gearing up for the new year to hit it hard, full force. Um, I've been kind of like using it as an experimentation platform here the last couple of weeks. Um, but I launched a, a podcast called Whitetail Hacker. And the whole idea is, you know, I'm just really big into the idea of efficiency and the concept of the 80-20 principle, which is basically, you know, the fact that I really believe we get 80% of the results out of 20% of the effort that we put into things, whether it's deer hunting or work or sports or whatever. I just think there's, there's certain actions that we take that, that result in massive results. Um, and I wanted to apply that to deer hunting and kind of put out a podcast that's very much, um, very much focused on the information um, because I, I'm a busy guy. And there's, there's not a lot of time for me to catch up on podcasts, I find. And, 
And I don't really listen to like every episode of a podcast. What? You, know, not, you don't listen not to, to every feeling. every episode of my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, but for me, like when I'm cruising through a news feed on a podcast, and I see, oh, you know, um, you know, Dan Infault's on, or somebody like that. Those are the ones that I tend to kind of buy into, or if it's on a topic that I really, you know, I'm intrigued by. Um, that's kind of the way that I consume podcast information. So that's kind of what I had in mind with the, with the Whitetail Hacker podcast is let's make it very informational based. Let's let's dive really deep on specific topics. So when we have a guy like Dan Invault on, instead of talking to him about like the entire spectrum of how he hunts, you know, let's talk to him specifically about how he is literally scouting and finding beds in a big wood setting in the off season. And that is the one thing that we talk about for 35 minutes. Cause I think, I think you go, you know, when you try to cover the gamut, sometimes you, you learn a little bit of everything, but I want to kind of make it in a mastery series of really diving deep on specific topics. Um, and, and going in that route, because frankly, that's what I wanted. I, I, I just really am intrigued by kind of becoming a master whitetail hunter over my career. And, and that's kind of why I've, why I've kind of done this is really for myself to be able to talk to some of these people that um, know a lot more about it than I do. It's, it's selfish in a way, I guess. But we launched a, a video series called the Whitetail Hacker you know, Mastermind Series with Exodus. Um, and we have just kind of started promoting that. And when we started promoting it, it just kind of was like, you know, if we're going to do this, we might as well just keep it going. And, and, you know, there's, there's always something new to be learned. So that's where the podcast comes in. Right. Awesome. Cool. We'll keep an eye out for that to all the listeners and Mr. Matt Klein, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of the day and, uh, coming on the podcast, man. Dude, I appreciate you taking time to have me on. And there you have it, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Matt for coming on the podcast, not only to talk about the new camera that they got uh, out, but also to share how his season has gone. I just want to say again, thank you to Matt and Chad and the rest of the guys at Exodus because uh, without their continued support, uh, this would not be possible. So uh, please go out and support Exodus because they support this podcast and, uh, Again, look for that new camera. Go uh, go pre-order it as soon as you can. Other than that, huge shout out to each and every one of you, the listeners of the podcast. Again, you know, without you, this would not be possible as well. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wasp, Ozonics, Deer Lab, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, Ripcord, and Bighorn Outfitters. Go out support those companies because they support this podcast as well uh, and just just a side note exodus was the first company that supported hopped on as a partner of this podcast and um, i'm very grateful for that if you haven't already go to itunes subscribe to this podcast leave a review um, i'm telling you the uh, sportsman's nation podcast network this is what you're listening to you get a, a ton of great info coming down the pipe. Um, trying to think what else, what else. Go to Instagram. Go to Facebook. Search for the Sportsman's Nation. Like it. Share it. All that good stuff. Same with the Nine Finger Chronicles. Like and share. And all the other podcasts that are on the network. 
I think we're good to go. Um, hopefully everybody had a Merry Christmas and uh, tell you what, New Year's is coming. So, and the season's not over yet. That's the that's the uh, the best part. I tell you real quick. Went out on a little scouting mission. Found two standing bean fields. So uh, I'm not. Uh, it's not a hundred percent over yet. We got snow on the ground and cold temps. So I'm gonna keep grinding and uh, I'll touch base with you later this week. If you're gonna be out in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Thank you.